1: James was a leader of that church because God had placed him in that role. He and others recognized and accepted it. He was not a leader because he was on some personal agenda for prestige and prosperity and power. He speaks with authority and he has the mind of Christ because he's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Pastor Leighton Sheely is back with another look at the book of James on this edition of Study Verse by Verse, and Outreach of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. I'm Mike Trout. If you'd like to know more about the church, and I encourage you to uh, do just that, find out more, go to the website highlands.us. That's highlands.us. We're into an introductory look at the book, and uh, I'll roll back just a little bit into what we heard yesterday and give you a running start into today's message.
1: Luke gives us a glimpse of his character. James presides at the apostolic conference in Acts chapter 15. A little background on that conference in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 10, uh, Cornelius, a Gentile, is praying And uh, the Lord uh, sends Peter to bring the gospel to Cornelius. And all of a sudden now, uh, the gospel is being spread among the Gentiles. And Gentiles are coming into the church. And the church up until that time had been so predominantly Jewish that the leaders of the church didn't know what to do about these Gentiles that were coming into the church. And so they call together this council that is recorded for us in Acts chapter 15. After speeches by Peter and by Paul, James makes his speech in which he supports these two apostles with Scripture, and then with clear, balanced judgment, offers the resolution which the conference adopts unanimously. This resolution was received with joy everywhere. It settled a most troublesome question in a considerate, just, and effective way. Not the apostle Peter, not the apostle Paul, not the apostle John. It was this non-apostle James who proposed the resolution and the plan of putting it into a brief encyclical, and the way in which he proposed to help the congregation by means of this circular letter is identical with the way in which he, a few years before this convention, helped the Jewish churches by his own personal letter. Among the Jews in Jerusalem, James came to be known as James the Just, a designation which certainly described his character. He was the head of the church in Jerusalem, which was the mother church. It was the original church from which all other churches uh, have, have grown up. Now, as to when this letter was written, it was probably in the period of time between roughly 35 A.D. and 52 A.D. In 35 A.D., Stephen was martyred. The story is told in Acts chapter 7, and a persecution broke out amongst the Christian. That's told in Acts chapter 8. And, uh, and then the conference or the council that we just talked about uh, took place in uh, A.D. 52, and that was recorded for us in Acts chapter 15. So probably between 35 and 52 A.D., which would make it then, according to scholars, probably the first book that was written of the New Testament. So in the aftermath of Stephen's stoning, this great persecution broke out against Christians, and it was led in part by a man named Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul. And so in his first words in this letter, James reminds his suffering brothers and sisters that they should not be surprised when they experience times of persecution and testing. And as he prepares his friends for the inevitable tests before them, he outlines for them and for us strategies to employ in times of testing. Now with that as an introduction, let's study James verse by verse. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. James, a servant. The word servant there is in the original Greek doulos, which can be translated either servant or slave. And it, does, it can carry a component of honor because that title was given in the Old Testament to great godly men such as Moses and David. And it describes them uh, because they had been given authority, but they operated in that authority under loyalty to God and with humility before God and man. And so leadership, and especially leadership in a church, should only be taken with a sincere commitment to seeking God's will and serving God. In this way, James sets out an expectation for church leadership, that church leadership should be a servant of God. Like Paul, James uh, makes a strong call for the basic character of a Christian life to be that of a servant following the model of Jesus Christ himself. And that leadership in the church should be reserved for those who have no selfish agenda. They have a servant's attitude and a servant's heart. James was a leader of that church because God had placed him in that role. He and others recognized and accepted it. He was not a leader because he was on some personal agenda for prestige and prosperity and power. He speaks with authority and he has the mind of Christ because he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, It's an interesting construction and unique because it's only found here in the New Testament. And uh, part of the reason that that he phrased it in this way of God and Lord Jesus Christ was to communicate and demonstrate that a loyalty to Jesus Christ does not undermine a loyalty to God, that in fact they are in perfect alignment and one and the same. When we're obedient to one, we're obedient to the other. I think probably the easiest way to to, uh, describe this is by describing a contrast, Um, and I think many of us have experienced it, uh, and that is when mom and dad are not in perfect alignment. When mom and dad are not in perfect alignment, it doesn't take kids very long to figure that out, does it? And so the kid figures out which they're going to go, which parent they're going to go to to get the answer that they want or have the higher likelihood of getting the answer they want. They have a higher likelihood for mom, they're going to mom for the answer. If they have a higher likelihood of getting the answer they want from dad, they're going to go to dad. But if mom and dad are in perfect alignment, it doesn't matter if they go to mom or dad, they're still going to get the same answer. God the Father and God the Son are in perfect alignment. And if you obey the will of one, you have obeyed the will of the other, because they're in perfect alignment. And by the way... The goal is for us to get in alignment as well. Also, the expression embodies one of the earliest confessions of the church that is Jesus is Christ, Jesus is Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord. The title Christ is not Jesus' last name, like some people think. It's actually a title, meaning Messiah, meaning anointed one. He was the one that was anointed by God to represent and have the authority of God. But that would be lost upon the Gentile Uh, those Gentile Christians, uh, because of their Roman background. And that's why he chose to include the title Lord. Because the title Lord was one that the Gentiles, the Romans, would understand. That was one of the titles they gave to Caesar. Caesar is Lord. In fact, you may recall that was one of the problems in the early church when uh, the early believers knew that there was only one Lord and it wasn't Caesar in Rome. And that created some problems. So, they recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. It's one of the most common titles for God in the Old Testament, and it's used frequently of Jesus in the New Testament. And he says, To the 12 tribes in the dispersion or the diaspora, greetings. Now remember that the author is Jewish in his background, and so he uses Jewish terminology and he uses a term that is common in the Old Testament, the 12 tribes. And what the 12 tribes described was all of the people of Israel, the people of God, the chosen people of God. Now, in this letter, it's obvious that he is addressing Christians, and so he's using a Jewish uh, phrase to say, all of God's people. In fact, the today's English version renders the expression, all God's people. So he talks about the 12 tribes. That gives you a background and understanding of that. And then he talks about the diaspora. Now, what's that all about? Well, the diaspora was a technical word that was used by Jewish people to describe people who lived outside of the promised land, people who had been dispersed around the world. And oftentimes that dispersing was the result of persecution. So the diaspora began in around 722 BC when the Assyrians invaded the 10 tribes to the north and carried them away into captivity. That's the famous 10 tribes, 10 lost tribes that we oftentimes hear about in history. And it continued through and beyond 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar invaded the south and took away many people to Babylon in captivity. And so what he was talking about is the dispersion that came as a result of persecution. This letter was written after Stephen was martyred and there was a persecution in the church and the believers were dispersed. They were dispersed into Judea and Samaria and according to Acts, even as far away as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Syrian Antioch. And so that gives you a background on what he's talking about. The, the Christians everywhere. And he knew that these young believers are going to be facing trials and persecution and suffering and temptations and pressures. And so he wants to equip them to persevere through it all. Now, the diaspora was also significant in the spread of the early church as well. And what had happened during the diaspora of the Old Testament is that when the Jews would go into a city, they would build synagogues. And in the synagogues, they would teach the Old Testament, the Word of God in the Old Testament. And uh, so when Christianity was being spread, remember that Paul, when he would go into a city, the first place he'd go was the synagogue. And he'd go into the synagogue because the people there had some understanding of God because they knew his Old Testament. And he helped them connect the dots. Connect the dots that the Messiah that had been spoken of in the Old Testament was Jesus. And some of them believed and others did not. It created contention. And so eventually he would have to not be teaching in the synagogue and he would teach elsewhere. But those synagogues, that diaspora, allowed the church to quickly spread across the world. And then he says, greetings. Greetings is a regular salutation in Greek letters. When we write a letter, we usually say what? Dear so-and-so. Greetings is like the deer, okay? It is very different than the greeting that was used by the Apostle Paul who used a distinctively Christian greeting, grace and peace. It is rare in the New Testament. It's only found two other times, one in Acts chapter 23 where the Roman officer was writing a letter of safe passage for Paul and then in Acts 15 where the letters is being sent from the council in Jerusalem that James presided over. If you're a regular
0: listener to these broadcasts, you know that Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands takes us verse-by-verse through each study. And this is actually an introductory look at the book of James. So we're uh, moving around in the New Testament so that you fully understand um, the background for James before we get into that verse-by-verse look at the book. Again, this is an outreach of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, And one of the reasons that we present these daily studies is to introduce you to the church, a ministry in San Bruno. And if you're looking for a place to worship the Lord and grow in your faith and understanding of God's word, check out Church of the Highlands. Go to the website for a first look at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. I'm Mike Trout. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back at this same time tomorrow. And we'll open the Word of God and study with Pastor Leighton Sheely, verse by verse.